Hello, baby. Yeah, I always wanted to be a singer. I'm all shook up. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about music again. Now I've done several music episodes and they're always well received. Everybody loves the music episodes. And we will do more, I promise. But this week I just wanted to talk a little about music. Longtime listeners know I've been a fan of music as far back as I can remember. I've always been musically inclined. I've always liked music. I've always liked to play music. I've always liked to listen to music. I took piano lessons. I've self-taught myself about three chords on the guitar. I was in band for years. I was in marching band, stage band, concert band, jazz band. Whatever band they had at the school, I was in it. That was all through high school. And I continued to play some on my own after I got out of high school. But one thing I discovered, there's not a lot of call for trumpet players to stand on the corner and just play their trumpet. That's what I was. You know, a guitar player can go out and get a gig, either playing backup in a band, or if you have even half of a singing voice, you can get a gig sitting in a bar somewhere, playing songs and singing cover versions of Take It Easy and Brown Eyed Girl. So when I realized that you couldn't sing and play trumpet at the same time, I know it wasn't a hard reach for me to figure that out, but you can't. So that's when I self-taught myself a few guitar chords, but I've never been able to do more than strum a few chords and hum a little bit. And it's a time commitment. That's really all it is. I just haven't committed the time to it. But I digress. This isn't about me playing instruments. This isn't about me playing music. What I wanted to talk about today was how music has changed since I was a kid. And I've touched on it in other episodes. But I grew up in an era where top 40 music was a big thing. Top 40 meant the 40 most popular songs in the country. There was a top 40 countdown that Casey Kasem did every week on the radio. And I believe that was based on the billboard charts, and the billboard charts were established by record sales. This is back when you bought records, and you would not only be able to buy an entire album by an artist, but you could buy singles. You can do that now on Amazon and Apple Music and on Google. You can go buy individual songs. And actually, that's the way a lot of people tend to prefer to buy songs now. The album is not as big a thing as it was when I was a kid, because you can just pull off the songs you want on an album. And that got me thinking, not that I just came to this realization, but that realization got me to thinking about how different music is now. And it's different in several different ways. First of all, one of the differences is how you buy it. When I was a kid, you could buy a 45 record, which is a small record, which plays at 45 RPM on your phonograph or your stereo. Or you could buy an album, which played at 33 and a third on your phonograph or your stereo. Nowadays, you can either buy a single or buy a whole bunch of singles or buy an album put out by an artist. And I'm going to talk about that in a little more detail in a minute. But the other way that music has changed is how it's categorized, how it's packaged, how it's sold to you. And by that, I mean, I guess it's the genre. When I was growing up, there was rock and roll. There was adult contemporary. There was classical. There was country. There was jazz. Those were basically the main categories when I was growing up. There was no such thing as hip-hop. Rhythm and blues was kind of a subcategory of jazz. R&B, we call it now. Rhythm and blues is what we called it when I was growing up. Electronic music wasn't a thing. But electronic music that we have today is kind of a spin-off of what I guess we used to call disco. 
Disco was a category that came into being somewhere in the 70s after Travolta's movie, Saturday Night Fever. And disco became a huge genre for a brief period of time. It still exists, but it has a different feel to it. And it's kind of evolved into electronic music. It's kind of evolved into club music. And it's interesting to me to see that evolution. And it's also interesting to me to see how some of the categories have changed and frankly just disappeared. I've talked about this before. When I was a kid, adult contemporary was a category of music, and a lot of people fell into the adult contemporary category. You had your John Denver, you had James Taylor, Carly Simon, Melissa Manchester, Jim Croce, Olivia Newton-John, Kenny Loggins, bands like America, 10CC, Ambrosia, Seals and Crofts. These were all bands and artists who would be in that adult contemporary category. They weren't hard rock bands, they weren't rock and roll, they weren't heavy metal. I mean, they played things that were upbeat, but it wasn't hard rock. It wasn't even soft rock. It was more kind of storyteller, laid back. I hate to use the phrase easy listening because that was a subcategory. Easy listening was more like that Muzak that you would hear in an elevator. That was more easy listening. Something you could put on in the background and it wouldn't be too offensive or disturbing. That was easy listening when it first started. But easy listening and adult contemporary, they're basically gone. Those categories don't exist anymore. Because music has splintered off into so many different subgenres. And I wonder if a guy like Barry Manilow or James Taylor could exist today if they would have the same career if they started today. So that's what I mean about how music has changed as far as packaging is concerned. There are different categories now. There are different genres. There's a lot more genres now than when I was growing up. And I'll talk a little more about that in a few minutes, too. But circling back to how we got our music, we think nothing these days of just going onto Apple Music or onto Amazon or onto Google and finding a song and just buying it and downloading it to our device. But when I was a kid, this is how you would get your music. You would hear it on the radio. If you heard a song that you really liked, then you would go to a record store. That was the primary way to do it. You would go to a record store and go buy the single. You could also record it off of the radio if you happen to have a tape recorder, and some people did that too. But if you're recording off of the radio, you get the static, you have the DJ talking over the song. So it's not quite the same. I mean, I did record songs off the radio, but that was not the preferred way to get a song. The best way to get the song, especially if you didn't want a DJ talking over the record, which was always the case when I was growing up, DJs always talked over the record. I know because I did it. When I was in radio, we were taught how to talk up a record. But if you wanted a clean version of the song, you had to go buy the record. And if you went to the store, it would cost you maybe a dollar, maybe a dollar and a half, maybe two dollars, depending on the store and depending on the song, to buy 145. Now, the 45 would have the single that you liked as the A side of the record. There was the A side and the B side. The A side was the hit. That's the one you wanted. And the B side would be some lesser cut from the album that the song came off of. Sometimes the B-side would become a hit too. That depended on the band and, of course, the quality of the song. But if you wanted that clean cut, you had to go buy the 45. That was the only way you could get it. So if you wanted a song, and let's say, we'll use Jim Croce as an example. Let's say you wanted Bad Bad Leroy Brown, which was one of his big hits. That was off of his album Life and Times. So the record company would release Bad Bad Leroy Brown as a single. And the radio stations would play it, and it eventually became a hit. Now, I don't have the single for Bad Bad Leroy Brown, so I don't know what the B-side was for that. But what people would do is rather than just buy the single, they like Jim Croce, they like his style of music, they would go buy the album. 
And then on that album, there'd be other songs that you like. There'd also be other songs that you didn't like. But for the price of an album, which would be 6 or 7 or $8, you'd get 11 songs, which was a good deal, especially if you like Jim Croce. And actually, that's one of the things that's kind of missing from the music experience now. You would go out and buy an album, and part of the process was you'd listen to the whole album. You'd have 11 songs, and some of them were good, some of them were bad, but you'd listen to them all. You'd want to get a feel of what Jim Croce was saying, not just in Bad Bad Leroy Brown, but in all of the songs. And so you'd sit in your bedroom, listen to 11 songs, get a feel for Jim Croce, get a feel for the music, kind of appreciate it, and you'd get the whole album experience and determine, yeah, I like this stuff, or I don't like this stuff, or I like some of this stuff. But the album listening experience was a whole thing. And as it turns out on that album, when people buy the album, they'd listen to the other tracks on the album. There was a song on there called One Less Set of Footsteps. That also became a hit. There was also a song called Roller Derby Queen. Not a huge hit, but also semi-popular. Because what would happen is people would buy the album, they'd listen to all the cuts, and then they'd call up the radio station, and somebody would say, Hey, could you play One Less Set of Footsteps? That's an awesome song. And normally the radio stations would have the album and they'd find the cuts. And if the song sounded good and the program director liked it, they might break the song based on people calling up. Other times the record company would find another cut on the album and release that as a single. And if you had two or three good songs on an album, that would drive record sales. And that's how people sold albums. Airplay on the radio would get people to buy either the single or the album. And then they'd hear other songs on the album and ask for those songs to be played on the radio. And that's how the music business basically worked, at least for us kids, from a kid's perspective. The same thing was true with America, the band America, James Taylor, Barry Manilow, Melissa Manchester, all of them spring into my head as I sit here thinking about them. They'd release a single that would drive album sales, and that's how they became popular. And a lot of times artists would put out concept albums, all of the songs talking about the same topic or having the same feeling or having the same theme. And that was another way they'd drive album sales. You wanted to hear the whole album because it was kind of like listening to a musical story. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is probably one of the earliest rock concept albums. The Beach Boys, of all people, you don't think of them as putting out a concept album, but the album Pet Sounds is considered one of the earliest concept albums out there. Some great songs on there. Wouldn't It Be Nice is on that album. Sloop John B is on there. God Only Knows. And a lot of album sales were driven by these concept albums or these thematic feelings about these albums. And you kind of got a feeling about the band and the people in the band and what was important to them. It's very different these days. You don't really get a feeling of the band so much because people don't buy the album. And albums aren't like they used to be. You'd get 10, 12, 15 songs on an album. A double album might have 30 songs on it. Nowadays, an album, if it has 10 or 12 songs on it, you're very fortunate. Usually it comes in at six to eight. And because it's so easy to just buy a single, that whole album concept doesn't exist the way it used to. Now, how did we find out about these songs? How did we know what the hot song was? Well, of course, we listened to our radio stations. When I was growing up, radio was the only way you could find new music and at least knew what it sounded like. These days, you can go onto a website and listen to a 30-second blip of a song, kind of get a feel for it, decide if you like it or not. When I was a kid, you listened for the song on the radio. You'd have your favorite radio stations. Everybody had a favorite top 40 radio station. And a top 40 radio station focused its playlist on the top 40 songs in the country, as decided by the Billboard charts. What was selling the most? That was the number one song. 
And of course, there's 40 songs on the top 40 list. And the top 40 radio station would play those 40 popular songs in a rotation. And you'd hear the most popular songs all throughout the day. Now, of course, there were other radio stations because not everybody wanted to listen to Top 40. My parents, for instance, couldn't care less about Top 40. They would listen to the adult contemporary radio station. Some radio stations would play nothing but adult contemporary artists. That was it. Whether you called it an AC station, adult contemporary, or an easy listening station, which was often the kiss of death for kids. (laughs) Oh, you're listening to the easy listening station? Mom, get with the times. We also had radio stations that focused on the 50s classics because that's what our parents grew up with. Classics from the 50s and the 60s. So those weren't top 40 songs for the time that I was a kid, but they had been at one point, and that's the stuff my parents grew up with. And their parents grew up with things like Glenn Miller, Guy Lombardo, Count Basie, all of the old stuff from the 30s and the 40s. Those would be on the oldies radio stations. But when I was a kid, there was a radio station basically for every genre. So if you were driving with grandma, she'd have one radio station on her car. Mom would have a different one. Dad would have a different one in his car. And if you wanted to listen to Top 40 while you were driving with mom and dad, good luck. Because mom and dad controlled the radio station. If you wanted your own music, if you were lucky enough to have a portable transistor radio and earplugs and could get a signal in the car, then you could listen to your own music. But that was rare and we didn't have that. So we didn't always get to hear Top 40 in the car. We'd have to be in our bedrooms with our friends, hanging out, listening to the radio and playing our games. There was an exception. For some reason, Sunday mornings, mom was kind of open-minded, I guess is the best way to put it. Every Sunday, Casey Kasem did the Top 40 countdown. He would put a show together, four hours long, ten songs an hour, and he would count down from 40 to 1, the most popular songs that week. Now, the show was pre-recorded and packaged to radio stations, and they could run it whenever they wanted to. The local station by us ran it at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, so it would go from 9 to 1. And I remember it was Sunday mornings because Mom would let us listen to the AT40 countdown on the way to church and on the way home from church. Now, church started at about 10.30 on Sunday mornings. It took us about an hour to get there, park, get situated. So we would leave the house at about 9.30. So we missed the first two songs in the countdown. But we would listen to Casey Kasem. We'd get our piece of the Top 40 countdown from 9.30 to 10.30. Then we'd be in church for an hour. Then we'd have to do the mingling after church. And then we'd usually be in the car for the Top 10 from 12 to 1. So that's how we figured out what the Top 40 were every week. Sunday mornings going to church. By the way, if you have Sirius or XM satellite radio, they've moved it around a lot. But you can find the Top 40 countdown that Casey Kasem did back in the 70s. They have all of those shows. And I have heard them play them back over the weekends, just like Casey did back in the 70s. So you can hear the Top 40 Countdown from whatever week they're doing on a particular week on Sirius or XM. And you can hear the way we listen to music and the Top 40 Countdown when I was a kid. Now, the Top 40 Countdown was usually rock and roll for the most part. But you would get some of the adult contemporary artists in there too, sometimes. You would almost never get a country song in the Top 40 Countdown. The lines between the different genres were very clear and very well defined. And it was very, very rare that you would get a crossover from country to rock. AT40 focused primarily on the rock and roll genre, but you'd get a sprinkling in there of adult contemporary artists. Barry Manilow would make the top 40. John Denver would make the top 40. James Taylor would make the top 40. Country music very rarely cracked the top 40. 
One of the few true country songs that I remember doing a crossover into the top 10 was The Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels. Now that was a true country band and a true country hit that crossed over and made it big. I don't believe that it hit number one, but I know it was top 10. But for a country song when I was growing up, for a country song and a country band to make it into the AT40, that was a huge song because that just never happened. And I mention that because it's so different now. The genres, rock, R&B, country, they blend so much more so now than they ever used to. And quite honestly, rock isn't the same kind of genre as it used to be. Adult contemporary basically doesn't exist. Anybody who is adult contemporary has gone to country, and country is more of a middle-of-the-road, easy-listening kind of feel than country ever used to be. When you think of old school country, you're talking Waylon Jennings, early Willie Nelson, early Johnny Cash. You go back to George Strait. You can go back and get bluegrass in there too. Bluegrass still exists too, but it's such a sub, sub, sub genre. It's always been. But bluegrass is closer to old country than what new country is now. Country these days is basically adult contemporary. Rock is kind of rock, but there's no bands like Bachman Turner Overdrive. KISS, ACDC, which is really heavy metal rock. You've got a lot more R&B, a lot more hip-hop, a lot more techno, and everything kind of feels similar these days rather than having these bright lines that existed between the genres when I was growing up. It's actually a very good thing because I think it exposes people to more genres, more different tastes, more different selections, more different styles out there. Because music is a beautiful thing, no matter who's presenting it. I mean, there's bad music out there, don't get me wrong. But music is a beautiful thing. And I think the more you can appreciate it, and the more you can enjoy it, the better it is. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about today, about music, is something that I grew up with, and people of a certain age know very well. And that's the mixtape. Long before there were playlists, where you could buy whatever songs you wanted and add them to whatever playlist you wanted, we had no ability to do that. Unless we did it ourselves. I honestly think that's where playlists come from. Now, the stereotypical mixtape was when the lovelorn young man was in love with the girl down the street. And after a couple of dates, he wanted to show his love for her. And so he would go into his bedroom, pull out all of his love songs from all of the singles he'd collected over the years, all of the albums he'd collected over the years, and then he'd put an album on the turntable, put a blank cassette in the cassette deck, hit record, play the love song and record it onto the cassette. Then he'd pause the recording, take that record off, put another record on, start the record up, hit record. So now he'd have two love songs on the tape. Then he'd pause the recording again, take that record off, put the next record on, hit record. Until you had the tape filled with all of the songs that told the young woman down the street how you felt about her. That was a mixtape. And making a mixtape was really a labor of love. Because you just heard me talk about how you had to do it. One record on, record, that record off, and so on. Now a tape has 30 minutes per side for the very basic cassette. That's the one most people got. That's an hour's worth of music. Now if you estimate about 4 minutes per song, that meant you needed about 15 songs to convey the way you felt. And then you just didn't slap the love songs onto the tape. No! For a mixtape to be really good... The love songs had to be in an appropriate order. And you'd want to factor in her favorite artist and maybe lead with the song that was your song, the song that you first kissed to. 
the song that you first danced to, whatever songs meant something to you, those would be the songs that would go on the mixtape. And doing a mixtape, putting one together, it was truly a labor of love. You had to organize it, you had to record it, and you only had one version of it. Unless you were lucky enough to have a dual tape cassette deck in your stereo system, then after your mixtape was done, you could record a copy of it for yourself so you could both listen to it together, even though you might not be together. Oh, the mixtape, that was a huge step in a relationship. It was a love letter in song. When you made that mixtape, oh, you were committed. Now, when it became possible for us to burn CDs instead of record things to a cassette deck, the art of doing a mixtape transferred to making a mix CD. And you could do the same thing, except you'd have to queue up the songs and then burn them to a CD. It was still doable, but it wasn't quite the same as doing a mixtape. I mean, you still had to get the order right. You still had to get the right number of songs. And the mix CD said just about the same thing as a mixtape. But the mixtape, oh, when you made that mixtape, you were committed. The art of the mixtape is lost. I mean, nowadays you can just send somebody a playlist. Gamer Dude's workout songs. Gamer Dude's driving songs. Gamer Dude's love songs. Yeah, here's six songs that I like. Hope you like them. I mean, yeah, you can put a playlist together and it has songs on it that you like. But it's not the same. Making a mixtape? Oh, if you've never had to make a mixtape, if you've never had to invest your heart and soul in putting that musical message together and making sure it said just the right things... Oh, you've missed out, let me tell you. I have made my share of mixtapes in my life. Sadly, I don't have any of them. They've degraded over the years or just disappeared. I have a few cassettes loafing around. Not one of them is any of the mixtapes that I ever put together. And yes, I have put more than one mixtape together in my life. As a teenager, you fall in love all the time, don't you? There was probably three or four mixtapes that I put together. Here, this is for you. I think I kept copies of two of them. I don't remember what was on them. That's the benefit of having mixed CDs. I have mixed CDs too, but my mixed CDs are more just songs that I like to hear while I was driving or while I was working out or if I just wanted a rock mix. But the mixtape, not only is it a lost art, because we don't have to do it anymore, but the tape itself is basically gone, because tape degrades over time. That's the huge downside to using cassette tapes. They wear out over time. So all those hours and hours of putting music together in just the right order, to send just the right message, the result of that art is gone. It's kind of sad when you think about it. I guess that's the good thing about having a playlist of love songs. It's not going to degrade. And when you break up, you just get rid of the playlist. Because can you imagine, after breaking up with someone, coming across the mixtape that you made for them? Talk about a sad and lonely night. I remember listening to this song with her. So maybe there is a good side to not having mixtapes around anymore. Now all you have is your memories. Anyway. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you hanging out with me. You guys take care of yourselves. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.